Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. Survive. Thrive. Stay alive. It's time to get prepared with the Prepping Academy Podcast. Well, well, Sam is the king of intelligence. He's a former intelligence in, um, NCO, right? Yes, yep. For the for the um, army. Yes. And he does forward observer where he trains people. He trains groups. He trains everyone on how intelligence can be helpful in really everyday life, but also when there's a pandemic or an emergency or anything going on, knowing your surrounding is key. And so tonight he's going to do a, a, a presentation. I'm going to just let him run. I mean, and he has classes. He has a ton of classes he teaches. He does a, let me see, every day I get an email of, of what's going on in the world. And I read that. He does um, podcast, video. He does, he has a car wash. He has all this kind of Oh, that's not you. Sorry. He has all <laughs> all this stuff to to train you and help you. And, um, you know, a lot of it's free. A lot of it's free. And then some of you have to pay for it because, you know what? You don't go to college free unless you're a, a – I don't want to have to say liberal because you want to go free if you're liberal. But we, 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 we like to get what we pay for. So what do you got on top of that? He's charming. Well, maybe not. My wife might think so. <laughs> Your anniversary is every year at prepper camp time, which is kind of crazy. It is, yeah. That's right. And you ha- you haven't been married long enough to go, well, honey, can we not celebrate next weekend? So. Nope. She's, she's not really interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> that takes about five to six years of marriage before you can get there. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So yeah, That's good. So anyway, well, tell us, introduce yourself, and then tell us what you're going to teach us tonight, and let's go. All right. Well, I think you you pretty much covered it. Uh, yeah, I left the intelligence community in 2012, and because I was very concerned about what was going on with the last president who shall not be named, and uh, yeah, I started Ford Observer uh, back in 2014, and then I started producing a an intelligence report. And yeah, that's my main job now. We're, we're a team of uh, three. Three of us are full time now, and we we look at what's going on in the country. We look at data points. We identify trends, and then we describe what could happen in the future. And in terms of preparedness, intelligence is really key because intelligence reduces uncertainty about the future. Right? We're looking at the election. We're looking at maybe a, a, a war. We're looking at lots of things, and the more the more intelligence we have, uh, 
uh, about these topics, the more we can begin to identify what's more likely to happen and what's less likely to happen. And then once we have this range of scenarios, then we know exactly what we should be preparing for. Because we say, hey, look, we've looked at we've looked at a range of scenarios and we assess that this scenario, based on this evidence, is the most likely. We say, okay, great. Let's let's make sure that we are prepared locally for this scenario, whether it's global or national. That's that's intelligence in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, hey, the floor is yours. I mean, I, I want to hear what you have to say, and then um, I'm going to sit here, I got my pen, and I'm going to be taking notes. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds good. Well, um, yeah, thanks for the floor. Thanks for, for having me on the show again for us. It's always a good time to be here. Let's jump right into it here. We're going to talk about several things tonight. Uh, number one, what the real, the really the thing that I want to impress upon you the most are the last three, the strategic environment, intelligence gathering. We'll go over some local stuff that we can be doing to gather information. And then we'll talk about an area study, kind of generally what goes into an area study. Uh, yeah, I was an intelligence analyst. I run a company now called Forward Observer, and we just we're about to launch next month a, a new, brand new training company that's going to be doing all the training. It's called Fox Intelligence Group. Uh, you can check us out on the web right now at forwardobserver.com. So first of all, we have this tactical environment here. Anything from flooding, tornadoes, earthquakes, uh, ice storms, riots, any kind of civil unrest. And the more we understand about what's going on beyond our line of sight, the better we are going to be able to react and we're going to talk about one case study in particular that really gets into the weeds of what this looks like on the back end. Like I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take you through the steps that we did in order to battle track the Ferguson riots here. By the way, can everyone hear me? Okay, I uh, I don't know. I must uh, Forrest, you still got me? Some people oh, yeah. are saying they they lost audio. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, just cool. just, what, just a couple people. They just need to refresh. It's YouTube. It's not us. So okay, connection. Yep. All right. All right. And so that's the tactical environment where intelligence can really help us. And then on the strategic level, looking looking six to twelve plus months out, maybe years out, decades out. Uh, a lot of you may be already familiar with this. It's a little. It's an essay called "The Fate of Empires." written by a guy named Sir John Glubb. He was an intelligence officer in, uh, in World War I. And then he went to, he was British, and uh, he went to Iraq and fought against the Vichy regimes in the Middle East uh, with, allied, with British and Allied forces. Well, he, in the 1970s, he wrote this little essay called The Fate of Empires. And it's only like 20 or 30 pages long. It's a very good read. But what he did is he did a, uh, he did a study over like three or 4,000 years and he looked at uh, lots of empires, and he said, "Look, the, Syri- the the Assyrian Empire they fought with bows and arrows. The British Empire fought with um, you know tanks and ships and bombers and and all this stuff. And one thing they have in common is that they both lasted about two hundred and fifty years. And he started looking at all these empire, all these other empires, and finding." They only last about 250 years. Pax Romana lasted 200 years. And what he found is that empires last for about 10 generations. And then he goes on and he describes the cycle of why, 
of why all these empires share similar characteristics in the beginning, the middle, and the end of the empire. And so the the logical conclusion here is the United States is undoubtedly an empire. And if we were to date the beginning of this 10-generation cycle from 1776, that means that we are in year 244 of a 250-year cycle. Now, empires, they don't really have an exact birth date, so it's not like we can say July 4th, 1776 exactly. I'm even open to going to the birth of the American empire into the 1920s with the Monroe Doctrine. Um, But the the overall key here is that the the, the overall um, point I want to make is that the United States is an empire. They do last roughly 250 years, and so the American empire will eventually end. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be erased from the face of the earth and it's going to, you know, we're just all going to die in place or whatever. I mean, look, you look at at Britain today, Great Britain, and they're still there, but their role in the world is greatly diminished. And I think, you know, within within a lot of our lifetimes, we are going to see, and as a matter of fact, I think it's safe to say it's already started. We're going to see the end of the United States as, as this empire. And um, so that's one thing strategically many, you know, several years out, even though I think it's already started, it's one thing we need to begin preparing for, right? We have this strategic level threat or this strategic level trend. What kind of changes is this going to make in our counties or our neighborhoods or maybe in our our states or regions of the country? Because a lot of these, a lot of places are going to look vastly different. A friend the other day, a couple of weeks ago, told me that the United States is going to become a third world country with first world zones, and the first thing I thought about was, what can we do in our communities or our county or maybe our state to be a first world zone in a third world country? And I think that's a question that really bears a lot of due diligence. And then the second thing, by the way, there, there are a lot of these indicators, but these are the two that I picked out for tonight. Um, world reserve currencies also have a uh, – they also have a, a, a lifespan – World Reserve. This is a from JP JP Morgan, by the way. This this little graph here on the right chart on the right, and what they found, they went back to the 1400s, and what they found is that world reserve currencies or the currencies rather are are a world reserve currency for somewhere between 80 to 110 years, and that's been pretty consistent with the Portuguese real all the way up to the British pound uh, in the 30 years following Bretton Woods in 1944. The um, the British pound lost fifty percent of its purchasing power in thirty years. Now I don't know what the U.S. dollar, how greatly the U.S. dollar is going to depreciate, but I would encourage you to start thinking about what your local industries, what your local economy looks like if the U.S. dollar were to begin to depreciate. It's already down ten percent in the past three months, roughly. You know, twenty five percent, thirty thirty. 40, 50%. What does that look like? And then be prepared for a uh, an accelerated de- uh, accelerated devaluation of the dollar. And I think that's a real-world threat that we need to begin looking at. So I want to talk also about what's happening in the United States today. And I think 
This probably started in 2016 with the Trump campaign. There's a, an army doctrine called low intensity conflict. And it exists below the threshold of conventional war. So we're not talking about war involving tanks and bombers, but it exists above routine, peaceful competition. There's no one in America who has any sense who could say that the United States is at peace. And we're also not yet at conventional war. We may never get to conventional war. But the Army has a doctrine called low-intensity conflict that says this is a war that exists between these two extremes, conventional war and and peaceful competition. And I want to just – I'm going to go through these briefly because I've I've talked about these a lot. But low-intensity conflict is described by the Department of Defense, partially as uh, protracted struggles of competing principles and ideologies – Okay, that's us in America. It ranges from subversion to the use of armed force. We're not, we've seen sporadic, the sporadic use of armed force. Political, economic, informational, and military, or in our case, paramilitary instruments, check. Uh, Low-intensity conflicts are often localized, but contain regional and global security implications, check. That's us as well. So we hit every, we hit every indicator of low-intensity conflict here. Let's uh, just briefly, we're going to go through these political warfare. That's one of the things that I mentioned. Um, you know, obviously that's going on. The The big, I think the big takeaway for us is, you know, all the, all these politicians and the media, they say our democracy, right? Oh, Trump subverting our democracy or whatever is subverting our democracy. Well, if you, I don't mean to get too political, but just, just, pointing out what is political warfare. It's not enough for it's not enough for the left in general to compete politically, right? I mean they they run their candidate, the Republicans or Libertarians or whoever, they run their candidate. The one thing that the left has been really, really good at doing is changing the uh, changing actually changing the electorate. And so that's one way that they have waged political warfare is through, well, through all the things that they've been doing to, to ensure that, um, that their party had, is going to have dominance, political dominance in the future. And that's exactly what they've done, and that's exactly what they're going to have is political dominance. There's also economic warfare. warfare. There, uh, a big example of this, a really good example of this, is economic dislocation. So you know, all the, the CEOs that have had to step down or the employees that have been fired or workers that have been fired because – they said something on the internet from 20 years ago, uh, and you know, or probably not 20 years ago, but five or 10 years ago, and uh, and what that does is it separates your ideological or political opponents from their ability to sustain themselves, right? It separates them from their income. That is economic warfare, right? All of a sudden, this guy's not making money. All of a sudden, this guy's not the CEO, and guess what? He can no longer advance his causes as well as he could when had this job. There are a lot of a lot of instances of, uh, of political warfare. Uh, next is information warfare, right? We always say uh, the media is the media doesn't have a bias. The media has an agenda, and I think that's certainly true. Lots of examples of information warfare. They're ongoing. There's absolutely persistent, and then political violence, which has been very sporadic. And the concern, of course, that everyone shares is what does political violence look like in and around Election Day in November? 
And there's obviously a solid case to say that the the, the political violence has, has escalated. And this presentation is really not about the the specifics of that, but we can certainly talk about that at, at another time. So the whole point is that, I, and I hope I've proved this. I hope that I've proved um, kind of this this theory here is that we are actually in a low intensity conflict and people talk about, Oh, plan for the civil war or look at the civil war. That's going to start. It's already started the civil war. I even hate that term civil war. It's low intensity conflict. It's already started. So there is no talking about the coming civil war. It's here. It's here. It's just very low level right now. And I hope that I've proved that to you. Uh, so my company Ford observer, um, we, we track a lot of these insurgent groups and revolutionary groups across the country. Um, this map here is um, – this is – I just did a, pull, a heat map pull, basically, of all of our reporting uh, for political violence and insurgent-type behavior. So these, these big red diamonds you see on the map, those are uh, early stage or proto-insurgencies, very small, primarily very small, with the exception of Portland, of course, and maybe Seattle. And then um, these other, these yellow or kind of orange diamonds, uh, they're places that have uh, very active, subversive, and revolutionary groups as well. So all this is to say, look, this stuff is already happening. It's across the country. It's not just in Portland. And come November, it obviously could spread to a, a great many places. As a matter of fact, I think it will. So let's get into intelligence. What... Uh, we have all these problems. As a matter of fact, I, I've kind of come to dislike the intelligence that we produce. Um, it's good, but I'm very solutions focused, right? I'm like, okay, we know the problems. But how do we fix this on a, on a local level, a tactical level, on a strategic or national level? How do we begin to fix this? And really the best answer is intelligence. So why do we need intelligence? Why do we as preppers, people in the preparedness community. Why do we need intelligence? Well, because we all have blind spots. There are all things, there are things going on around us right now as we speak that that we don't know about, but we either should know about or we would like to know about. And these are, uh, these are blind spots that can be filled through intelligence. This is why I, I've been talking a lot for the past several months about the importance of using your preparedness group as an intelligence network and building your local intelligence network. Because the more sensors we have, the more people out there who are seeing and hearing and, and learning things, the more sensors, as an intel guy, the more sensors that I have out there feeding me information, the happier I am. Because now all of a sudden, I don't just see my tiny little slice of my experience in this town or in this county. Now I've got lots of people providing their experiences in our town or in our county. And so one thing, you know, if you get any takeaways from this, it is, you know, preparedness groups, super important. I really like the concept. I love what Forrest has done with PrepperNet. I send people there all the time. They're like, oh, Sam, how do I find a prepper group? Start, go to PrepperNet first, see what they have. Um, the one takeaway, though, for, for you tonight is use your preparedness group as an intelligence network. This, these are things that we have to do. The, the problem is that when emergencies happen, 
a lot of us are going to suffer from a lack of information. And when it comes time to make decisions, what do we really want? Well, we want access to information. We want access to real-time information. Clausewitz called this the fog of war, things that are going on beyond our line of sight. He says, uh, by the way, and I'm, I'm not approaching this from a war-fighting stance. I'm just saying dealing with emergencies and dealing with conflicts, right, intelligence is the same, has the same principles, the same uses, the same processes as well. So Clausewitz talked about the fog of war and basically says, you know, about two-thirds of the things that we do in war are shrouded by a fog of mystery or shrouded by a cloud of mystery. And that's where we get today this term called the fog of war. And he says it takes an intelligence to send out the truth. So basically, you know, this is where we get this term intelligence from as well. Uh, We have to have intelligence to really understand the ground truth of what's going on during an emergency. And we've had a lot of time to prepare and cogitate and run through these scenarios or read these prepper fiction books about all these scenarios. The bottom line is, you know, you read a lot of these prepper fiction books, you know, and it's probably easy to read that and say, wow, if this character had only known this one piece of information, he may have saved his life or he may have saved his family's life or whatever. Well, I'm here to tell you, we actually can do that. We actually can gather that local information that is going to improve our chances of success during these events. Um, so the bottom line really here is that you risk mission failure without having an intelligence capability. And so I just implore you to start gathering local information as a team, as a group, whatever you have. Well, I already let the cat out of the bag on this one, but what's the single greatest factor in decision-making? It's your access to information, especially, especially real-time information. This stuff has a shelf life. What was current 15 minutes ago uh, you know, I'll talk about tracking riots, but can you imagine trying to navigate your way through a riot or trying to respond to a riot if your information that you're getting now actually happened 15 minutes ago? It's tough. It's real tough. I'll tell you that firsthand. So this really is the value of having real-time intelligence information. There's this thing called the OODA loop, O-O-D-A. Chances are good if you've been to a tactical shooting course, a really a good tactical shooting course. Uh, your instructors talked about the OODA loop and this, what happens on the individual level of our brain is that we observe what's happening. We orient ourselves, right? We try to figure out what's going on, where, if there's a threat, we decide on our course of action or we decide on our response. Sometimes those responses are very instinctual and automatic. And then we act. And the, we go one step above the individual, and we look at the OODA loop as a team, well, we can break this into intelligence and operations. And observe and orient is the intelligence part of the OODA loop, and decide and act is the operations part. I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about operations tonight. What I really want to focus on is observe, which is intelligence gathering, and orient, which is intelligence analysis. We have all this information. What does it mean? How can we make sense of this information that we have? We are going to encounter one of two problems during an emergency or disaster. Number one, we're not going to have enough information to make well-informed decisions. Anybody can make a decision. Flip a coin, great, let's go. Making well-informed decisions is a little bit tougher. 
that's the first problem. We're not going to have enough information. Uh, the second problem that we may run into is that we have so much information, we don't know how to process it or we cannot process it. And, and our decision-making suffers as a result. So it's not just a matter of us being able to gather information in real time. We also have to be able to process it and make sense of it in real time as well. Intelligence, intelligence gathering and intelligence analysis. All right, let's talk about the Ferguson riots in 2014. So myself, a fellow intelligence analyst who was actually stationed in South Korea at the time, and a handful of volunteers, some of whom may actually be here tonight, we battle-tracked the Ferguson riots. And we knew that we knew there was a very good chance of this happening. And so I said, look, why don't we do this as a proof of concept? Why don't we see if, if these volunteers with some commercial off-the-shelf technology and some experience running an ACE, or at least participating in an ACE in Iraq and Afghanistan, why don't we see what we can do here? And so we did that, and we very successfully battle-tracked these riots. Now, a uh, during the day, we had a pretty good sense that these riots were going to happen, as everyone else did. So um, during the day, we started looking at this community. And we, for those of you who know what IPB is, we started doing intelligence preparation of the battlefield, and basically doing an intelligence study or an area study for Ferguson. And throughout the day, you know, we're we're data mining social media. And we were listening into uh, local uh, emergency services frequencies, listening to local radio traffic, and trying to get a sense of exactly what was going to happen that night. And I remember listening into the local um, police scanner there, and I heard a call sign called Warfighter 33. And Warfighter 33 was pretty authoritatively telling other people what to do. So I said, okay, Warfighter 33, it's command element. And it was about somewhere between 30 or 60 minutes before the riot, before the no true bill came out. And Warfighter 33 came on the radio and started telling his National Guard troops. Sorry, I didn't make that clear. He's a National Guard guy. He started telling his National Guard troops to go ahead and move out to their static checkpoint locations, move where they were going, to run their checkpoints or run security, go ahead and start moving out. And that for us was a pretty good early warning indicator that the stuff was about to hit the fan. And we didn't do that with a billion-dollar budget. We did that with a police scanner and some local people on the ground feeding us information. And we were able to do, we were able to do a pretty darn good job and we we went. I think I I think I stopped like somewhere around like two o'clock, and some of the other guys stopped around four o'clock. But we proved that it can be done. So let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit. Oh yeah. And by the way, let me say this real quick. Um, we actually found the location of Warfighter Thirty Three because one of the guys, his job was to look at a lot of these reporters who were taking pictures and doing live streams in and around Ferguson, and Warfighter Thirty Three. Was actually in a in a command post in a tent set up in the in a target parking lot there in town. And how do we know it's a command post? Because it was the only tent there with with two dozen antennas sticking out of it. Pretty good indicator. 
All right, so for input, we had real-time information coming into us. We were listening to the local police scanner, other radio traffic like ham radio and local VHF, UHF. We were data mining Twitter and Facebook, especially following those reporters who were on the ground there. We were watching cable and local news for what it was worth. One of the guys said, this is actually, this is a very true statement. We were consistently somewhere between five and 15 minutes ahead of what was, what cable news was reporting. So imagine this, right? Imagine a riot's broken out in your area or some, some catastrophic event has happened. And you're listening to the news, trying to make decisions on, well, should I stay? Should I go? What should we do? And the stuff that you're getting that you think is happening now already happened five or 15 minutes ago. We have to do this stuff ourselves because we can't trust, we can't rely on local media to get it right and to get it right now. We can get it right and we can get it right now if we build these networks ahead of time. And then, of course, we had some human sources on the ground in law enforcement, especially, um, who were providing us information as the night went on. We had an all-source approach to this. We'll, we'll talk about intelligence gathering in just a second, but we had a lot of a lot of distinct independent sources. And, again, we proved the concept. We can do this at a professional and amateur level. So our out, output for this, by the way, is called Operation Urban Charger. The output was real-time intelligence. We battle-tracked the situation. We had a, a pretty real-time understanding of where a lot of the violence was occurring. We had a real-time picture of where law enforcement officers were with these riot and skirmish lines. We knew by the deployment and the, and the movement of these uh, of these police skirmish lines, we knew where the rioters were. And we mapped all this stuff. We So what we did is we, we took this raw data and we, we put it on a map all throughout the night in real time, right? It's kind of like you're moving chess pieces around or something like that. And we had real-time intelligence about the security picture there. So I want to take you through a couple of these things. So when we were, when we were moving, um, when we were doing our, our IPB, getting ready, really kind of doing our area study, getting ready for what we figured would be riots, um, we started plotting National Guard units. So they would come over the radio, they'd radio in their location, or they'd say where they were going. This is just Google Earth, by the way. We dropped a pin. Okay, drop a pin. That's great. There's water 33 there on the map there, if you can see it. Um, as police in the area, law enforcement in the area started shutting down traffic, do, throwing up roadblocks, we put those on our map. So guess what? If we lived in Ferguson or my grandmother or whoever lived in Ferguson, I was like, okay, Grandma, it's time to leave, but don't go down this road because there's a roadblock, and you're going to get all the way down there and have to turn around. That is information of intelligence value, that right there. And then also, we also put on there some, uh, like the city jail and the emergency management office and all that stuff. Uh, this is a this is an image of when we uh, tracked the protests in Cleveland, Ohio. This was Operation North Shore. These are the the, road, uh, the protests and violence that happened during the 2016. Republican National Convention. By the way, we were gonna we we're gonna deploy here from Texas, go out to Charlotte, North Carolina for the GOP convention out there, but uh, it's not happening. 
uh, but Forrest, Forrest actually was the one that, that kind of invited us out there. And I, I was really looking forward to it, teaching a lot of this stuff to people in real time, especially PrepperNet folks, because there's a lot of PrepperNet folks out in North Carolina, uh, unfortunately. You know, we could probably battle track some stuff maybe coming up, um, like the inauguration and stuff. There, I mean, there's, all, there's just absolutely going to be political violence there. By the way, and we battle tracked the inauguration in January 2017 as well. We did that from a hotel in uh, in Austin, Texas. By the way, all right. So let's talk about intelligence gathering. We talked about we talked about having real time information feeds. Uh, there are four intelligence gathering disciplines as preppers or as a preparedness group we need to do, or as a neighborhood watch or community security team or whatever you have. Um, first, first, there's open source intelligence or OSINT. The great thing about open source is a lot of it exists on the Internet, and a lot of it can be automated. And that means that we don't have to go searching out for stuff, right? We just monitor the feed. We automate these feeds, and they pop up on our screen, on our computers, and, you know, we get those pieces of information, and then we plug them into the intelligence cycle. Uh, one thing that I recommend everyone do is if you have, um, like, start a Twitter account, and I, I don't I don't mean start a Twitter account and show everyone what you had for dinner and what you're doing next weekend, but start a Twitter account and just start following local politicians, follow local reporters, find their Twitter handles, follow them on social media, and, you know, if you have like five or 10, 15 minutes worth of downtime, hop on Twitter and look at the things that they're saying and look at their opinions. You know, what are the things they're talking about? There's a very good chance that you will find information of intelligence value that way. So that's that's kind of the, the actionable takeaway from open source is follow these important people in your area on Twitter or if they're not on Twitter, on Facebook or wherever they may be. And if they're not on Twitter, a lot of times these government entities will have some kind of official Twitter account or something like that. So definitely seek those out and follow those folks. Next is signals intelligence. The easiest way to get started with signals intelligence is very rudimentary, but it's a police scanner. Now people say, well, should I go out and buy a police scanner? Well, if you're, if you're local, I would say in almost all instances, yes. And I see a couple of these comments here in the chat about, well, a lot of law enforcement agencies are moving to encrypted communications, so police scanners are worthless, you know, whatever. Well, not exactly, because there's a good chance that uh, maybe only the police are are on encrypted communications and everyone else is not. So like fire, EMS, stuff like that, um, which may still yield you intelligence value. A lot of these police scanners as well, especially the, the digital ones that do the P25 um, that can pick up uh, the digital uh, trunking transmissions. Uh, they can they have a very broad range, so um, you could be. Um, all right, I don't mean to get sidetracked, but somebody just said scanner comms won't be available. It's completely false. It's absolutely false. Scanners look if it emits a signal, it can be tracked. If it emits a signal on on an analog channel, we're going to be able to pick it up with our digital receiver. If they trans, if someone out there transmits a a digital non encrypted transmission over the radio, and it's on a frequency 
that our scanner can listen into, we will hear it or we, we can hear it. So it's not that they won't be available. Just a lot of people are just not bright enough to realize, hey, I should go buy a police scanner because during an emergency, I'm going to want to hear what other people are saying in the area. And, you know, I recommend having a police scanner, but, you know, you you could easily go get, you know, um, well, I mean, the, the range is a little bit limited, but, you know, a CB or if you live on the coast or something, Marine Band, have a VHF, UHF receiver. So you can listen in because there may be people talking on VHF, UHF, or, you know, MERS or whatever. And we definitely want to listen into that. This is very rudimentary signals intelligence. So that's the second actionable item there. Get get your get your radio receivers and listen in to what people are saying during an emergency. All right, next is imagery. Google Earth Pro is free, and I highly recommend that everyone get a, a snapshot of their area. The more, you know, obviously the more recent, the better it will be. Get an imagery. Um, maps are super important. I recommend th- getting three types of, of imagery or map data, and that's number one, have a street map. Number two, have a topographical map. And number two, have imagery of your area. There, yeah, just real quick. Um, there is a there is a police scanner that I recommend. It's it's pricey, but it's well worth the money. Uh, the only thing, if you live in an area where where your police are using encrypted communications, it may not be worth the price. It may not be worth the price that it costs. But um, I think it's you know around like four hundred fifty dollars, or it was pre pre pandemic. Now that uh, now that there's all this craziness stuff going on, they've everyone's jacked up the prices. So I think you can find it like north of five hundred on Amazon and some other places. But it's called the Uniden Home Patrol Two. Here, so I'll just type that in for everybody right now. Well, if this. Hey, would you recommend the 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 portable one or the home one? Well, the the home the home base station. Oh, I think my it didn't like it didn't like that. So, I hope I'm not freezing not freezing Linda, up on everybody. Linda will type uh, it in. I was gonna go type this thing in, and then my browser started getting all wonky. So at any rate, um, either one. Because even with my base station, I can still – one of the great things that, that I can do in my vehicle is have a GPS antenna. I hope I didn't just go out on everybody. I can have a GPS antenna, and as I'm driving around the road, driving down the road, uh, it can update my location – Up. Okay, it can update my location in real time because the great thing about this Uniden Home Patrol 2 police scanner is it has an onboard GPS. And GPS doesn't give away your location. It it gets signals from satellites and it updates your location on that, that police scanner. So it's not like you're emitting a signal. You're taking signals in. And um, so if I'm on a cross-country trip, I have my GPS antenna up on my roof. And as I'm driving down the road, going through county by county, state by state, will update their real-time location on that scanner. And that scanner has every single um, emergency services frequency in the United States and Canada on it. So you can just literally just drive around 
and have complete coverage without touching a single into this too deep, but it just has some pretty incredible utility. Hey, Forrest, if I, uh, if I'm, let me know, like, or something, because this is, my browser's being kind of wonky on my end. Hey, let's take a quick break. Has your data been hacked? Do you feel uneasy about the vulnerability of your personal information online? Were you involved in the Target, LinkedIn, or Microsoft data leaks? Don't know? If not, then pay attention. Join Forrest Garvin from PrepperNet for a free webinar on privacy and security. Gain insights into safe internet browsing, VPNs, crafting online aliases, secure emails, detecting if your data has been hacked, and managing passwords. Secure your spot today for this webinar on privacy and security. It's free. This webinar delves into comprehensive strategies for bolstering your online privacy. We've got you covered. From fortifying your passwords to shielding your financial information and mastering state-of-the-art encryption techniques. We're offering two convenient dates to suit your schedule. Reserve your spot now at PrepperNet.com privacy. Don't let cyber threats erode your peace of mind any longer. Take the first step toward a safer, more secure online experience by joining us for our free webinar. Remember, knowledge is power when it comes to safeguarding your privacy. Sign up now at PrepperNet.com privacy. We'll see you there. Yeah, you're you're doing good. It is your audio is breaking up just a little bit. So, um, but we can still I can still okay, hear great. almost every okay, word. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just keep going then. Yeah, you know, a lot of people they a lot of people say, "Well, just get a scanner on your phone." Well, there's a couple problems with that. Number one. Your battery dies on your phone. You don't have a scanner anymore. If you're trying to listen to something real time and also tell someone over a phone call, you're you're not going to be able to do it. Um, And then also, I tell you, one of the problems that we had, here's here's the real problem with these with these police scanners and stuff on your phone. We support a, a group called Cajun Navy Relief. And in the past we've done, we've provided them with real-time intelligence during these hurricanes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they'll, they send search and rescue teams out and they go rescue people off their roofs and rescue people out of floodwaters. And one of the things that we noticed happened is that in like the first 12 or 24 hours during a hurricane or like directly after a hurricane, we were able to, to get information. People were on Twitter or Facebook saying, Hey, I'm stuck on my roof or I'm stuck in my attic. I need help. And then we use this data mining software so we can find that stuff and give it to the search and rescue guys or give it to the dispatch folks over there. Well, all of a sudden like 24, 36 hours after this hurricane event, you have cell phones and cell towers start to go down, or at least cell phones start to go down and run out of juice. So, you know, it's like your your iPhone police scanner will work in a pinch, but don't count on it to last a long time, um, especially if the internet goes down. 
Then the other thing, I, and, and the other thing too, just real quick. A lot of times if you're listening to a, a police scanner app on your phone, that traffic may be delayed by 15 minutes because it's been pretty customary now because law enforcement will come out and say, hey, this is an officer safety issue. We don't want you broadcasting it. And then broadcastify or whoever will say, okay, well, how about we put a 15-minute delay on there? And then they're like, well, okay, it's better than nothing. So, again, it gets into how comfortable are you making real-time decisions based off information that's 15 minutes old? I'm not. That's not something I want to put my family through. I'm not. It's not my ideal decision-making environment. So, again, they'll work in a pinch, and these websites will work in a pinch. They're just – you're going to have all sorts of problems with this stuff during an emergency. So, it's – for most people – it's going to be worth it to buy a police scanner, even if it's not the Cadillac version, even if it's the, the Kia Sorento version of police scanners. I would I'd recommend you get one. All right. So and then finally, human intelligence, right? Complete grid down scenario. All these all my whiz bang radio stuff, all my whiz bang software stuff online disappears. And now we just have humans. Well, we need human intelligence. Right. Talk about those sensors, developing your local intelligence network. What are we going to do when there's no police scanner, when there's no people to follow on social media? It's going to be word of mouth or it's going to be transmitted through radio or ham radio or something like that. So that's why it's important to have all these nodes in your network via humans. And I'm not with when I say human, I'm not talking about source recruiting necessarily. I'm not talking about infiltrating anybody or conducting espionage. Talking about getting with your local people, training them up in some basic, hey, this is what intelligence is. This is what an intelligence requirement is. This is how you can call in a salute report and get all these people feeding in information. One thing that we're going to start doing here locally where I am, I've been working on building this local intelligence network kind of on the back of this preparedness group is um, we're going to start a weekly intelligence summary. And so I have all these people who've agreed to pass information up. It's already been extremely fruitful. And uh, we're going to start having these meetings and we, you know, we'll, we'll uh, share information. And, uh, and then we'll put all that intelligence information, things that are good to know about into a, uh, an intelligence summary for everybody. Everyone, I, I think, if you live in a very populated county or you have a, like a pretty active preparedness group, I think that you should be doing something like this because people start to see like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, wow, that's good information. That's really good to know. And now all of a sudden it kind of turns them on. They're like, hey, yeah, I actually, I need to start sending up information here too. And now all of a sudden, you know, we, we start off, we'll start off with six folks and then there'll be a dozen folks and there'll be 20 folks and then there'll be a hundred folks. And they're all feeding up information of intelligence value. And then you can have your team and you can sort through that information and say, oh, Bob, Bob works down at the power plant. Hey, his CEO just sent out a company-wide email about some problem that they expect to have in the future. Oh, thanks, Bob. That's something that we can actually start preparing for. You know, that's just kind of an, an example. But this is, man, this is the power. This is why intelligence really is a force multiplier in terms of access to information. Better information we have, the more relevant it is, the faster that we get it, the better and faster decisions that we can make. And we're in, when we're in an emergency scenario, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be a lot of known unknowns and a lot of unknown unknowns. 
Intelligence reduces uncertainty about the future. The more intelligence we can produce, the better idea we're going to have of not only what's going on now, but also what we can expect in the future. And then when we have accurate expectations of the future, you want to talk about preparedness. Now we're really cooking with gas because now we know exactly what to prepare for. Not just, I'm not knocking prepper fiction novels, but not just, hey, I read this in a prepper fiction novel. Let's start preparing for it. All right. Um, if my if this thing will cooperate, uh, let's move on to the area study now. Everyone should be doing an area study, right? A lot of, um, I think there's a general tendency to put the cart before the horse, to to buy gear, especially to buy gear, and buy all these things when we don't know specifically what we should be preparing for. Well, an area study is going to tell us exactly what we should be preparing for because we, through our area study, we look at our operating environment and we look at, we find out what can break, what's going to break in my operating environment. What are my vulnerabilities here? What are the limitations here? What are the fault line? What are the local fault lines? What are the local powder kegs that could explode? Proverbially, metaphorically. We identify those things. And now we know exactly. See here, okay, I don't mean to get off on a super big tangent here, but, you know, preppers talk about OEMP or the stock market collapse or a nuclear war with whoever, right? Those are national global level events. How are those things going to affect you locally? And I don't mean to offend anyone. But I don't know. I know a lot of super preppers out there who don't know their neighbors and they haven't done an area study. And they can tell you the blast range of a 500 kiloton, whatever, EMP, nuclear bomb, or whatever. But, but they don't know. So I, I just ask how prepared are these people? Like, really, how prepared are they? Maybe they got seven years worth of food stacked up in their basement. If we don't have the ability to take in real-time information, if we don't understand the second and third and fourth and fifth order effects of an EMP, right? An EMP happens, someone nukes DC, we write them a thank you note. How does whatever happens in California or DC or New York, how does that then trickle down and affect us in our own communities? And if we can't answer that question, if we draw a big blank, and I'm not just talking about, oh, gangs, there's going to be gangs and crime. Okay, great. Where and who? And lots of other intelligence gaps, right? There's lots of other requirements that we could be collecting. If we don't understand the follow-on effects of how these national level events are going to affect us locally, then I just have to question, are people really preparing for the right things? Are people really prepared if they don't understand the local effects of all this stuff? How prepared are they? And if that's not you, then I'm not talking to you. But there, I know there are a lot of people out there because I meet them because they come to my classes. And then at the end of the class, they're like, wow, I'm, I'm actually very relieved because I feel like I'm empowered now. Like I, I actually know how to look at information. I know how to look at data. I know how to gather information and make sense of it. And now I didn't even know this about my own community. And that's one of the top things I need to be preparing for. I'll give you a real-world example. Several years ago, Forrest, how are we doing on time? Um, good. We're um, okay. fine. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start to yeah. wrap it up here. We only got a few things left. 
So several years ago, I was teaching a class in in a southern state in a, a very rural um, county, in a very rural area in a very rural county. And I got there on Friday. It was a private group, and I started meeting with them, and I started asking them questions like, hey, I you know, I want to come in and want to teach the best class that I can for you all. Let me know what your concerns are, and I can help teach the class, right? I can help frame the class to those specific concerns. And they were very interested. They were very concerned. Essentially, what they were preparing for, this is back during the president who will not be named. They're concerned about door-to-door gun confiscation. And I said, okay, well, let's look at a couple of let's let's look go start to go through this. Number one, if there were to be armed troops in your area, what kind of critical infrastructure do you have in this area where someone at the Pentagon is going to cut orders for an army unit? to send some company, some army company here. And they said, so we did a, a quick little survey. There's basically, there's like one power substation in that county, nothing else. So like no dams, no nuclear sites, basically nothing that the federal government would want to protect. So I said, okay, well, in the grand scheme of things, what's the likelihood that some regular army unit is going to come to this county where there's nothing to protect and start going door to door in your very rural up in the hills and start confiscating guns. And they're like, well, yeah, okay. Admittedly, it's probably not that great a chance. And then I started saying, well, okay, let's look at what kind of infrastructure do you have here? Where's your, where's your nearest national guard army or military base? And they had like one national guard armory. It's like, a, I don't know, 50 or hundred miles away. It was a long ways away. It was over an hour drive. And, and they knew that, which was good. But then I asked them, what type of unit is there? And they didn't know. So we hopped along and did some research. It turns out it was a transportation company. In other words, if anyone's going to come kick down your door, it's not going to be a transportation company because those dudes are truck drivers and water purification specialists or whoever they have out there. So, you know, not like, not door kickers, right? Not, not lead slingers. And so really in the course of about 15 minutes, these guys started realizing like, Hey, actually, we probably don't need to prepare for door-to-door gun confiscation. We should probably be preparing for, like, the meth addicts up up in the hills, the meth heads, the tinkers up there who are going to run out of drugs when the S hits the fan. And now they're going to come start looking for us, or now they're you know going to start breaking into our vehicles or breaking into our homes. That's probably the people we actually need to be preparing for. So that's, that is the critical uh, – that's the, I guess the you know kind of the crux of why we need to do an area study. Let's actually look at what we're dealing with. What local elements are we dealing with? So I look. I don't mean to lecture anybody. But we'll, we'll keep going. I want to tell you about the six layers of the operating environment because this is the core of our area study. First, we look at the physical terrain, right? Get out our topo maps. Look for things like choke points. Look for things like. Um, Elevation, like one thing we're trying to do here is put up a repeater. So obviously we, we've done a little, our physical terrain study, looking for the optimal elevation points to put up a repeater. There's maybe some more stuff involved. We don't have time for it tonight, but next is the human terrain. Okay. Not just like, not just the, you know, demographics, the sex and race and whatever of people, but you know, what do these people believe? What do they believe about law enforcement? 
What do they believe about President Trump? What do they believe about local government? What do they believe about you? What are their, you know, it's like there's the iceberg thing, right? 10% of that iceberg is like skin color and gender and age. And then 90% of that iceberg is what they believe and what their, uh, what their values are and what their system of morality is or what their religion is and their attitudes about lots of things. And so when I talk about the human terrain, um, I'm not talking about, oh, this, you know, it's, this county is 70% white or no, I'm talking about, you know, what do these people believe about all these things? Are these people going to support law enforcement or are they going to be very opposed to law enforcement? So if there is some emergency scenario and maybe law enforcement is, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to help, maybe they're trying to hinder, who knows, what, how's the local populace going to react? So when I say the human terrain, like look at who your neighbors are, go out and meet them, figure out what they're about and really understand your human terrain. How are you going to navigate the human terrain during this emergency? Next is critical infrastructure. What keeps your world spinning? Where do you get your power? Where do you get your water? Where are your local supply depots or where are your uh, distribution centers? Where are you going to get fuel? You know, where are your local hardware stores? Stuff like that. Um, and it's a little more involved in that, but we'll keep going. Uh, next is politics and governance. Who is making the rules for you? What does your mayor believe about uh, about the Second Amendment? Or what is your, you know, how prepared is your county for an emergency? Who's making the rules for you and how are they going to react during this, uh, during this emergency event? Next, law enforcement, military, and security. So law enforcement, what does your sheriff believe about the Second Amendment? Has he, has he said anything like, you know, hey, I'm not going to enforce unconstitutional gun laws? Okay, great. Or I am going to, I do believe in gun control, and we are going to enforce the law, whatever it becomes in the state. Well, that's something I want to know. Like, that's going to my area study. Um, so, you know, look at local law enforcement. Um, look at um, your local military installations, military, you know, army units or National Guard or Reserve or whatever you have in the area. Uh, and then also security. A lot of times there's private security companies. And like we saw during Katrina, we saw during Harvey, um, these hurricanes out here. Uh, there's a lot of private security companies that will get contracts to come into an area. And, you know, sometimes they're local, sometimes they're from far away. But definitely look what kind of armed security companies you have in the area. In an emergency, you may be seeing these people. Might behoove you to get to know something about them or maybe even get to know them before they deploy to your area. And then finally, economics and finance. Who are the major employers for your area? What's the unemployment rate look like? What are the major industries? You know, this big thing that's going on with Biden now, you know, Joe Biden, he's, he supports the, the Green New Deal. He basically says um, the Green New Deal by the way, we've produced a daily intelligence report on all this stuff to really kind of frame what we're up against. So the more we know about what could happen in the future, the better we can prepare for it. Uh, it's called early warning. It's appropriately named. Um, by the way, if you just if you want to check out what's in it, you can just go to forwardobserver.com slash subscribe. Forwardobserver.com slash subscribe. So anyway, this Joe Biden thing, he said that the Green New Deal is a critical framework. He is very supportive. 
and they're going to go after fracking and they're going to go after coal and they're going to go after fossil fuels and all these other things. So, you know, if you're in an area where you have fracking, like here in Texas, oil fields and, and fracking jobs, and all of a sudden, you know, you may be looking at a vastly different place. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how much, what part of some of these economies in these regions of Texas are fueled by these oil guys that are out there working in the oil fields and then they come back and they stay at hotels and they go out and eat at restaurants and they go buy new big fancy new Texas trucks. And um, so at any rate, so if you live in an area like that and Biden does get elected, you know, let's start looking at second, third and fourth order effects. What's that going to do to your local economy? That's something I want to put in my area study as well. And then we get into threats. There are four threat types. This also needs to go in our area study. There's conventional, irregular, catastrophic, and disruptive. Conventional threats are things like a police state or a standing army. Irregular threats, gangs, mobs, looters, criminals, whatever you, have, you know, may have uh, criminal-wise in your, in your area. You have catastrophic, so like mass casualty events or natural disasters or man-made disasters, hurricanes, pandemics nuclear explosions, whatever. And then disruptive. Disruptive threats are not going to kill you, but they are going to disrupt your operations. So power outages, internet out outages, um, fuel rationing, or unavailability, empty grocery store shelves. That's a disruptive threat. Now, the important thing here is these threats can generate lots of other threats. So for instance, you might have a disruptive threat, a power outage or an internet outage that then causes irregular threats, right? Maybe crime goes through the roof uh, due to this irregular threat that, ju that just happened. So what I want everyone to do, do it with your, your family, maybe by yourself. I don't recommend, that's not the optimal um, course of action here. Or get with your community security team or your preparedness group and list all of these out. Conventional, irreg irregular, catastrophic, disruptive. Think about your neighborhood or your county and write out every single possible known or suspected threat in each of these categories. This is why it's good to do this stuff with a group because, you know, uh, no one is as smart as everyone. You know, Bob may say something that I didn't think about. Oh, that's a great one, Bob. Let's write that out. All right. Well, now we're, now we're actually looking at local stuff. And by the way, don't put gangs. I mean, yeah, you have gangs, but what are they called and who are they? Who are these people and where do they operate? So you can put gangs for now, you know, but go back and actually look, right? That's an intelligence gap. Now, what gangs are in the area or what criminal rings are in the area? A lot of these burglary rings, um, they're, you know, they, they're groups of people and they, they go out and operate. And like this, this is what they do for a living. They go into these neighborhoods and uh, break into vehicles or, you know, go and check door handles of vehicles and steal stuff out of there or whatever. So um, definitely put all this stuff in your area study. Now we're very focused on realistic threats that we can begin preparing for. And then, so we look at our operating environment, look at the local threats, and then we look at fault lines, our vulnerabilities and, and local limitations. Like if you live in a, an alpine mountain town, high elevation, and your local grocery stores, your local grocery stores, 
you know, get filled up every 72 hours or whatever. And all of a sudden there's a snowstorm. Well, you know, you're going to run out of food, but all of a sudden there's a fuel shortage. When are you going to be able to get food brought into your little, your little mountain town? Who knows? That's a limitation. So write out all those limitations. How's my area vulnerable? Write that stuff out. Cause you know what? Now all of a sudden that's really going to be a very good indicator of exactly what we need to be preparing for at a local level. We're no longer talking about EMPs. We're talking about, Hey, this thing that happens every year, we know it's going to happen causes this problem. Well, what happens if we get into a war with Iran and the price of oil shoots through the roof and there's oil rationing because everyone's going out and pumping up their vehicles full of fuel. And all of a sudden there's no fuel left and there's no fuel being imported or brought in. And there's a cyber attack. Or there's a terrorist attack against our refineries down on the Gulf coast. And now our oil production, our oil refinement is greatly reduced. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of, a lot of these things. Yeah. Linda says all these links that could break. Absolutely. That's a much better way of saying it than I just did, but yeah, find the links that can break and then figure out, Hey, how am I going to mitigate the risk? How am I going to prepare to mitigate the risk of, of these effects? All right. I have a, we're about to end up here. Uh, there's, I have five steps, and this is actually, if you go to my, I've got a YouTube channel. It's just called Forward Observer, and one of the playlists there is how an intelligence analyst prepares for SHTF, and in five videos, I've pretty much broken this down for you, exactly how I look at emergency scenarios as an intelligence analyst, exactly how I look at, um, how I look at preparedness, how I'm preparing for this stuff. Um, I won't go through a lot of these in, in great detail. I just want to say, number one is develop a range of potential scenarios. And I'm going to talk about EMPs and societal collapse local, right? What can break locally? What are, what's a very likely event that we are going to have to deal with? You know, maybe, maybe you can look at EMPs, but then think a few levels down. Okay, there's an EMP. How's this going to affect my neighborhood? And then you start preparing for those things. Uh, number two, identify the mission. This is kind of more for, uh, you know, if we're operationalizing a neighborhood watch, for instance. Um, based on these, based on what we assess to be more likely and less likely scenarios to happen, let's identify our needs. Like, what do we actually need? And then um, look at our, our resources. And let's make sure we prioritize resources. One of those things is going to be skills. What skills do we need to learn? You know, like if you live in, if you live in South Georgia, you know, unless you just want to, you know, maybe, maybe don't go spend two grand on, on a sniper course, because uh, those woods, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to be able to hit people from a thousand meters anyway, because there's so many trees in your way. Let's, let's look at something maybe a little more realistic. Prioritize, so identify your needs includes skills as well. All right, and then develop early warning. So if we know, if we have an idea of what could happen in the future, then let's start looking for indicators if that's going to happen or when that's going to happen. And then finally, scan, monitor, and collect. So all these, all these um, things that we're building in our local intelligence network, let's have our observers continue to scan, monitor stuff, collect information, report it up, and then let's, let's put it all together and let's figure out what we're dealing with here during an emergency. All right, and then the very last thing here, if this catches up, 
Um, my website is forwardobserver.com. I also have a, a podcast called Out Front with Samuel Culper. Um, and then I also do have, I just started earlier this month, a, a new online training course called Intelligence Bootcamp. And it's it's thirty. It's going to be 30 lessons. I just published lesson 14 uh, yesterday. or No, lesson 14 is going to be tomorrow, rather. Um, but it's going to be 30 lessons on bite-sized steps. How do we build a local intelligence network? You can find, find more on that course if you just go to www.bootcamp, or excuse me, www.intelbootcamp.com. And I'm ready for questions. Okay. Of course, are you going you gonna to call them out? Okay, go ahead. Yep, I got one right here for you. One guy wants more information on your presentation. Is this part of your area study course? No, no, it's not. The air, um, I do have an, an online course called uh, areaintelligencecourse.com okay. is where you can find that course. It's It goes into much greater detail than that. This is like really, a, a, it's not even a 30,000 foot view. It's like a 50,000 foot view. Okay, and how do what they I, get What I did tonight. How do they get to that yep, again? You can, you can go to areaintelligencecourse.com, and that's all about how to do an area study. Okay. Do you recommend organizing a militia? <laughs> uh, I'm not opposed to it. I know militias, some for good reason. I know militias sometimes get a bad, get a bad rap. Um, what I'm much more interested in doing is building a preparedness group or a preparedness network on steroids. That's probably what I would call it. Not a militia. That makes sense. Okay. Um, are there any meetups in our, well, they're not any in Arkansas, believe it or not. So if you want to start one, Tango, send me an email. We can start one there. Um, next question. Can you see the questions when I throw them up on the screen there? I can. Uh, what are your predictions for urban areas as for um, as far as government intrusion and living in more of a rural community? I mean, get out of the city for sure, but go ahead. Let's see what you have to say. Yeah, well, I, you look at counterinsurgency doctrine and a lot of this famous stuff. You know, I can tell you I was outside of Houston during Hurricane Harvey and we didn't have a drop of fuel. It was all going into Houston. So during an emergency, they've got to protect the population centers. If there were some some kind of conflict to break out in the United States, what the government what's the government going to do? They've got to protect the population centers. So are they going to be out patrolling these very rural areas? No. So in Middle Tennessee, you know. Honestly, I would look at what critical infrastructure you have there. I mean, if you, if you have if you have stuff that you want to, you have stuff that you want to, the government wants to protect there. There's a much higher likelihood that they send in armed people to protect that. There's nothing in Middle Tennessee. <laughs> okay, um, next is someone. Um, are you going to prepper camp? <laughs> uh, I'll have to ask my wife. I don't know. I'd like to. I was, she did not like. I, I went to it. What was it last year? The year before uh, on our anniversary, and she did not like that a whole lot. So I, I don't know. I guess you, I'm gonna have to be a, a really good boy. You stayed with me the one night, then the next yeah. night you disappeared. Yeah, I was out there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, can't, I was camping up on the hill. Um, can you smash the mosquito? Okay, some of these. Here's a question. Um. 
So um, for better or worse, short-term security unrest, Democrat win or Republican win? We, I mean, I think there's going to be unrest no matter who wins. Well, there's certain to be un, a lot of unrest. I'm talking like stuff we've probably never experienced in our lifetimes if Trump wins. So in terms of in short term, a Biden win would be better if you're just concerned about riots. They may still get out and riot even if Biden wins. I think that's a that's a course of action that's got to be considered. They will definitely do it if, if Trump wins. Long term, though, it's if Biden wins, it's all downhill from here, man. All downhill. The economy, guns, uh, politics. Biden says he's going to push through amnesty in the first hundred days. There you go. It's thirty million new voters. We'll never have a Republican president ever again. Yep. Okay. And so um, long term, Biden much much worse. TV. Um, uh, hey, what's wrong with Middle? There's nothing wrong with Middle Tennessee. I'm from the mountains of North Carolina, so we used to make fun of people in Middle Tennessee. Actually, everyone makes fun of people from Tennessee. But anyway. We won't bring that up. <laughs> oh, any more questions? Go ahead. Just put a little question mark so we know that there's a question. Um, and so we can easily, I thought I may have missed one up here. Oh, uh, Michael said he's in your boot camp. Um, okay. Great, yep. Michael. Yep. The next lesson will be published tomorrow. Okay. Um, let's see. So type your questions in. Um, so you you how many classes you have your how many classes do you have going on right now that people can get information from? Or, well, I'm really working on consolidating them into like one long course, but I have really really there are two that are online right now. There's the area intelligence course, which is all about how to do an area study, and then there's the Intel boot camp. See, here's what I want to do with the Intel boot camp. Um, it's really an accelerated course. We don't talk about a lot of theory. We don't talk about a lot of um, things that you actually need to run uh, to do a lot of the things that we talked about tonight. It's basically just the bare bones. I mean, it really is just boot camp training. Here's what you need to know. Here's how you can build a local intelligence network. Here's how you can run all of this stuff. And, you know, and then go do it. Every course has an assignment at the very end. Like, hey, here's something actionable that you can do to complete, you know, to complete this lesson, essentially. Gotcha. Okay, Linda has a question. Do you think that the silent majority will rise up if Biden wins or take it like we did when Obama got in? I think we are going to see a lot of the same things that we saw during Obama, which is malicious, basically everything that died off as soon as Trump got into office, you know, like the 3% movement or whatever they're going to be called under a Biden or whoever administration, malicious, the, whatever the next iteration of the Tea Party is, I think we are going to see. I, I absolutely do. I absolutely think we're going to see a, a conservative resistance, Not probably not to the level of this, of this leftist resistance to Trump. But, yeah, we are going to see – political and civic groups uh, try to hamper the, you know, 
hamper national level politics. Yeah, sure. So my question, I got a question and this is, so we saw this past week that Facebook deleted a lot of the three percenters and militia group pages. So what point, what, what is the new platform that we can go to, to rally the troops or to, I mean, meetup is not it. They are the most liberal, but that's, that's who brings a lot of members in. But is it this Patreon or is it, what's the uh, parlor? I mean, what, what do yeah, we don't know yet? I wish that we could get people behind one and go there. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. There are a few. And I think everyone's in that boat and I, I don't know. I don't know what the best answer to that question is. Yeah, I'm on Parler. I'm on MeWe. I don't really. I'm not very active. Locals right. is another one that some people are starting to use. Yep. Um, do you give tactical training? Well, define tactics. I I do intelligence courses. I prior to COVID nineteen, I was teaching about one course a month all over the country, coast coast to coast. Um, I probably actually in September I'm going to do my first course. Um, since January, uh, I was in Nashville in January. And, um, so pretty much the Southeast and Texas are probably where the most of my courses are going to be. But, you know, there's, there's folks up in Idaho and Washington state and other mm -hmm. Wyoming and other places who want a course. So I, I may, I may get around. It just kind of depends what the situation is. Um, so the short answer is yes, I do. Yes. Um, understand about infrastructure and urban centers opinion and opinion on communities known for big dollars and high profile people, you know, like Aspen, they're all going to die. Right. No. Well, the interesting thing is if they don't have a group, they're going to die for us. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you're you. welcome. Yep. Uh, okay. So um, a lot of the, there's a lot of very wealthy people. They're snatching up land in Montana and Idaho and they're building bunkers and they're doing the same things a lot of other people are doing. And will they die? I don't know. If they don't have a group that will. Um, but, you know, he, okay, here's the thing. Every once in a while, I think, wow, I'm, I'm being super extreme about all this stuff. And then I look at all these people in the Silicon Valley and people up in New York who are building like multi-million dollar security retreats up in the mountains. And I think, you know, if these billionaires have a, have an escape hatch, like there's probably something to this. Like mm -hmm. they would just go spend a, you know, a half, half a billion dollars on some massive or not half a billion, but you know, several million dollars on some building, some compound out in the middle of nowhere. I know that the realtor that I recommend for a lot of prepper netters, um, he does the Asheville Boone area. He literally is, so busy he can't even help people right now he's trying to get other people um he's working with double digits of prepper net people right now to find some land so um let's see what's okay let me see what this what systems are available for local members to communicate when shtf happens cb radio so i i want to cover this then up real quick then i want you to so our goal was to work with um amron and put together because they have a national emergency prepper net network kind of thing. And our goal is to work with them. And hopefully we do have Bravo 6.5, which is kind of 
taking the lead on that for us is a liaison between us and um, Amron. And we are, a lot of people are, rec you know, so the past two years, three years, people in PrepperNet, they're like, I need to get my ham license. They get a ham license and they stop. They never use it. They never go any further. But I think this has motivated people to go a little bit further with that. But we do have um, Bravo 6.5 that's going to be helping us with um, connecting people locally and nationally. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to your, you know, understanding your physical terrain, you know, in terms of what infrastructure do you need if you live in a very hilly, mountainous area and you have a lot of communication shadow zones, then, yeah, you're going to need repeaters. So that probably means VHF, UHF, or, or HAM. I don't know. I, I'll tell you, beyond that, I'm not going to answer the question because I'm, I'm not a signals guy. I'm not a comms guy. Uh, and, and really, even here locally, I don't do any of that stuff because we've got our own ham radio guys who are in charge mm -hmm. of that stuff. So I don't, my, I don't have fingers in it. So I don't know. Um, no, no, no. Okay. I saw another question here. Oh, what's this one? Is there a prepper group in Nashville? Nashville, Tennessee? Yes, there is a huge, uh, awesome one. Um, Russ is the guy that runs our Nashville one. And it is, he has a great group. They have um, some of their meetups have 20 to, well, excuse me, some of the meetups have 50 plus people um, there in um, Nashville. So, yes, we do have a meetup in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so here's one, Joe, 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 Jojo here. So long-term, I think another four years of Trump would turn the younger generation off from conservative politics so much that Republican base will never recover. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if I agree with that, Joe. If, if Trump does what he wants to do, it will make our nation greater. <laughs> who cannot Again. Who can read that? <laughs> so um, let's see here. Um, I'm looking. Oh, you got a fan, Linda. Um, so Thank you. I'm looking for more questions. It's weird when I scroll here. I have a, what's this? I have a 53 Buick. I want to, EMP. Hey, Lisa A, check out our um, EMP shield and we'll find out if that product is crap or if it really works. Um, Craig S, who do we contact to get a copy of your PowerPoint? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, uh, Forrest, I can give you some of these slides. I'm not, I can't give them all out, but I'll give you, I'll give you the slides that really matter. Okay. Um, okay. I know that you have a newsletter for $20 a month. Do you have any newsletters for free? Yeah, I've been, I, I, uh, I write about one blog post a week. It's called the forward observer dispatch. And if you just go to forwardobserver.com and click on one of those blog posts up there, um, at the bottom of that form, you can find a, I mean, at the bottom of that blog, you can find a little uh, thing that where you can sign up. And those are for free. And those contain a lot of really good information as well. Mm -hmm. And your podcast is for free. And, and you got a lot of information that goes out for free because you talk about things on a daily basis of what's going on in the world 
um, as well in your podcast stuff. I live in Midwest farming area where the neighbors all know each other. Um, there's no good organ organized group, just unspoken. Okay. Understanding. Well, you know what? It's kind of hard to do a prepper net group in the middle of, you know, in the, lo the, the closest town or, you know, the population density is like 300 people and like, 20 miles. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, cause each group does cost money, but, um, but yeah, I would organize them. Why not just put up a Facebook page and said, Hey, you know, let's, let's organize a little bit. I would love to learn what's this Joe about Bravo six, five and their pro. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. Amron. Yep. Um, getting him license. So my mag is made up of Marine Corps unit, uh, which hey, show open the mag to mag to orders. What open up the mag to orders? I don't know what he's saying there. First of all, you got a bunch of Marines. You're going to others? Die. I don't know. To others. Uh, oh, to others. Yeah. Um, well, first know. of all, yes, you need some normal people in your group. <laughs> my dad's a Marine. Um, so, but no, you need, um, you, you, yeah, you gotta, I mean, you know, open it up to who will help you. Here's one person that says, yes, Russ is great. That's my Nashville leader. So he's got a fan. Oh, that's, um, let's see. Looking here, watch the presentation on YouTube. Oh, someone's telling him to take photos of your presentation. Hey, um, uh, where what's this one? Where do we look up Bravo Six Five? Bravo Six Five is on our PrepperNet page, and if you have your comms license, meaning if you have a a um, technician, general, or expert, PrepperNet has over three hundred. I think people we have a PrepperNet dash comms Facebook page, and that's where all the comms people organize. And you can go there, and he's kind of like the admin there. Um, but if you don't have your ham license, you can't join. These aren't for wannabes. These are for people that have already taken the test and they, he verifies your license because we, we don't want wannabes there or, you know, we want people that really know what's going on there. Um, is there any um, prepper or survival groups in West Virginia? I think everyone in West Virginia is a prepper or survivalist. <laughs> Um, do we have one? I don't, I don't know. I would love to have one, um, there. I, I, in Clay County is where, I mean, there's some, um, yeah, I, Clay County, I, I have a heart for Clay County. That's where my, I invest in some oil wells and they're there. Um, so any in Palm Beach guard in Palm Beach, I know that we have a group in Palm Beach. So, Again, look on, I provided the link earlier for meetup um, or go to um, PrepperNet's page uh, website, sign up as a basic member, it's free, and you can see where all our different groups are. And we have a lot of things going on. On Monday night, we have a nationwide Zellonet. We have group meetings going on throughout. Um, there's a lot of things going on. Um, Um, Joe, you know, I'm giving Joe a lot of credit here. Joe's a good friend of mine, by the way. Uh, I uh, don't disagree, but by the way, just here from my kids, 
Yeah. College kids, you know, a lot of them will go to college and grow up and start thinking for themselves. This is good. Did you, you were actually, I read that book. So there is a great book. I read the one I've read two of them. The one I read was, I think it was, it was written by the Fox news guy. I don't know if it's Brett bear or I don't know who it was that wrote that. Greg Kilme or Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade wrote it. Yes. I, I read that. And then I read another one. Then I don't know if you know that you probably know this. Um, there's actually a documentary, a show of four seasons about um, George Washington and a spy network. And I've watched my wife and I watched the whole, the whole thing. So, and that was, they, they took great Liberty in adding to the story, but it was good. It was really good. But yes, and that, that is your uncle, if I remember right. It is. That's right. <laughs> um, let's see here. Any more questions? If you see any, just read them out and start on it. Um, I'm searching. Yep. Thanks, Mama Grizzly. She says she loves the daily FO. Thank you. Linda. Oh, Linda's, Linda's my... Um, Greenville or upstate South Carolina leader. She's in the house. Um, let's see who else. Oh, here's a question. On pretend, um, I don't even know what that is. Do you know what that is? Yeah, history. Yeah, history says the United States will balkanize straight history. I don't know when. I mean, I have some theories. I think the likelihood that it, well, okay, so. The Balkan Peninsula, right, after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the Balkan Peninsula split up into like, I don't know, 12 or 14 different countries, largely based on ethnicity and religion. And, I mean, massive civil wars and internal conflict. Like, Yugoslavia is a really great example. So history says the United States will balkanize. I think once the dollar is replaced as a world reserve currency, there may be incentive for certain area for certain states or certain regions to adopt their own local currencies. And then there you go. That's de facto balkanization right there. I mean, effectively. Okay. The next question here is, are there any groups near, I mean, you know what? I'm amazed how little these people will drive by the way. Um, um, this per gosh, you're right in the middle of nowhere. Well, we have one in Hickory. Um, I'm looking at the map here. We have one in Asheville. We have one in Greenville below you. So you're in the middle of nowhere um, in Rutherford. Because my, my city is right near there. Four City is right near there. So the closest one to you is Asheville, um, Hickory, Charlotte, Spartanburg. So we got, what is that, 30 miles each way? So, okay. I, I got to put this because it's it's cool. Yep. Um Here's a person they just subscribed to your podcast. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, let's get a prepper single. Yeah, we're going to do preppersonly.com. Great. <laughs> Turn Washington. Yeah, that's the that's the show right there. It's a good show. Turn Washington Spies. Um, that was a good show. Any um, Here, I'll let you handle this one. You just got a lot of stuff in there. 
Um, I guess that's counter surveillance or surveillance detection for landowners. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're trying to trying to find trying to do counter surveillance on a static location. You know, I mean, put up high def cameras at multiple angles, maybe. You know, uh, I I don't know. It's kind of a vague question. What kind of like land are we talking about? I mean, if you're trying to just like prevent, uh, do like intrusion detection or something like that, there's a lot of options. Uh, you can use a actually Tim Glantz from uh, he'll ca- occasionally have them. It's a seismic intrusion detection system, and it's just a little node. You stick them in the ground, and uh, you can set their sensitive sensitivity so it won't bug you if there's a squirrel jumping around, but if there's a human tromping onto your land, yeah, you'll. You know, it'll buzz or ring or something like that. My daughter's in Austin going to UT. Is that University of Texas? Yeah, UT Austin. Yeah. Okay. Um, I actually do. I know a bunch of retired SF guys who live in Austin, and they're unemployed. They're retired but unemployed currently. So, yeah, you may have an extraction team there. And possibly a date. <laughs> Okay, we're about to round uh, wrap this up here. Let's see here. Um, um, let's see here. Here's a question for you. Yeah, so the area study course is uh, about gathering specific information about the area for for a product. Uh, the Intel boot camp goes on about you know in the weeds of, you know, how, how we gather intelligence, how do we use human intelligence? You know, what are all the various, the various methods of human intelligence gathering? And um, the Intel bootcamp is really more on the collection side. The area studies real on is really more answering like what kinds of information do we need to think about? What kinds of information do we need to collect to put in the area study? Hope that helps. Yep. Motivating neighbors is not my gift. Is this a subject? You know, that's the hardest thing. Family members and they, I mean, the hardest thing about prepping and survival is getting in a, and forming a group. Bar none. Skills you can work on your own. You can work until you master them. But getting in a group or getting people converted to your belief system on, on you know, having the same, you know, like mind. It's the hardest thing. That's why I, I mean, but it's. I think it's one of the most important things is being in a group it's, and having a support team. Um, it's the most important, but it's the hardest. Well, approach it from the other person's perspective, right? What, what do they really care about? What's, what is a motivating factor for them? Figure out what motivates them, figure out what desires they have, what their values are, what their, I tell you, kind of piggybacking off what Forrest just said, the, I think the biggest problem to forming these groups are people are completely oblivious to everything that's wrong. And really, I think probably how fragile our society really is. Yep. So, so really the answer is, you know, how do we overcome that? And there are, uh, you know, what? I'll, I'll do a blog post on that or I'll do a YouTube video or something on that. That's, that's a good, that's a great question. I'll answer that question in a, a separate video. Perfect. Um, I think that's about, uh, I think, oh, 
Yes, I think that's probably good. That's a good, that's some good information. If you will tell people how to get to all your contact, I mean, you've got like 50 things going on. So pick the top seven podcasts, you know, classes, all this kind of stuff. Oh, um, and um, and just tell people how to um, follow you and get more information. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity here, Forrest. Uh, you know, I guess uh, the best way to keep track of me is um, probably via email. So if you go to forwardobserver.com and, and look at one of the blog posts and scroll all the way down, you put an email address in there if you want to get my weekly emails. And then also, um, I've been doing a nearly everyday podcast. I'm starting next week. I'm just going to do a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But we're on Apple, Google Podcasts, all the major podcast platforms. It's called Out Front with Samuel Culper. It's 30 minutes long. And I just, you know, I talked, like today I talked about intelligence value, what that is, what that means, why does it matter? I've been talking a lot about um, leftist insurgencies, about Maoist insurgencies, the history of Mao and some of the, some of the similarities I see going on today. And then also some of the, our takeaways from a kind of preparedness and a security standpoint. So those are the top two things I would say, get on my email list and then listen to my, uh, my podcast. So yep. not, not top seven though. Not top seven. So yeah. And so, you know, saying, uh, I hope he comes, well, he's probably not coming to proper camp, but well, I've, I've asked him at least 50 times, but if you guys don't know what prepper camp is, I think it's sold out already uh, because of, I don't think it has sold out. I thought he said it was sold out because of social distancing. They're trying to get, I know what you're saying. I, don't know. But, I think Jane just said the, okay, I, I don't know. Go to preppercamp.com and see yeah. if it's sold out. I don't know. Yeah. But guys, um, go check uh, Sam's stuff out, forwardobserver.com, his podcast. Once you get, once you get hooked and you listen to some of this, you get his um, daily briefing. Um, it's good information. And, um, and you can find, I'm sure you guys know where preppernet is, preppernet.com. We're on Facebook. Me, we, we, you know, you're, I'm like you, I'm, we're on there because I feel like we have to be, we're on parlor, but you know, I just feel like we have to be kind of thing. And so it's just, um, I wish I knew where everyone was going and that would be, that would, I mean, and I wish we could all move at the same time. You know what I mean? So, but, um, so I expect some of you guys to give me a report on how his classes are and, um, and, so I don't have anything else. Uh-oh, look at this. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I'm not going to comment hope, on that. I hope they save two tickets for me. I can get you in. I pro well, you can get in. You know them. So, okay. Um, no, uh, that's it. That's it. We're going we're gonna to end with Linda's comment. Thank you, Sam and Forrest. Great vid. So, hey, thank you for coming on. And um, we're going to have you back several times. And um, you guys, hey, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the um, for my um, giveaway. You can do that by going to um, – it's kind of too late to even share, I, I guess, at this time. But let's see if I have it here. Boom. Right there it is. 
Go sign up for the giveaway. I'm seriously giving all I'm this sign up away. For the giveaway. Oh, well, you can't win. Oh, I never. I'm, <laughs> I know, a, I'm, I'm gonna slap my I'm wife kidding. up. She can win, right? Okay. Yes, but it's 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 a big thing. Um, that's uh, that's a lot of stuff I put together there for, and it's going to be given August the first, I think it is, or October first. So anyway, hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell. I don't even. I think that gets you an alert. But subscribe and. Samuel, thank you again. Once again, you bring down some content that people absolutely love, and you will be back. And so, right, I, thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Y'all take care. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Prepping Academy podcast. Preppers unite at www.preppingacademy.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com.